Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Well, welcome back to the Minutes from Latvia podcast. My name is Mike Collier and I have another guest with me here in our very cozy pod. It's a cold day outside in Riga. Well, it's not that cold, but there's a very cold wind and those days always seem to seem a lot colder than when it's uh, sort of minus 20. Uh, my guest today, I'm a little bit intimidated, even though he's a very nice uh, individual, because um, a couple of years ago, I think it was, he was voted the most intelligent man in Latvia, or rather the leading intellectual um, on a certain, uh, well, highbrow website. So this puts me in the, the position of the sort of BBC interviewers from the 1960s who would say things like, so tell me about existentialism, Mr. Sartre, what's it all about? So I'm probably going to come uh, out of this dis- discussion looking um, rather stupid, but I know that my guest is going to uh, illuminate us all with his thoughts as he's one of the best uh, speakers I've ever heard. Uh, you probably want to know who he is. His name is uh, Ivoz Iabs, and he's a professor at the University of Latvia, but much more beside, as well as being Latvia's possibly leading public intellectual. Um, Ivoz, welcome to the pod. Thank you for coming. Thanks for inviting me, Mike. It's a great pleasure to be here with you. Could you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into academia and so on? I mean, uh, first of all, I was uh, the third or the second on that list. The first one was either the former president of Latvia, Vajravich Freiberger, or the stage director, Alvis Hermanis. I think that he was the first. So okay. you, you you should go to him, actually, to, to have <laughs> the, the leading intellectual. But I, but you're right, I, I was on, on that list. But uh, I'm in academia, yeah, I'm... Uh, professor for political science at the University of Latvia, but my background is much more kind of a humanitarian. I'm, uh, I have studied philosophy, initially music, actually. I used to play French horn for a while. The mo- famously the most difficult instrument, everyone uh, yeah, says. Yeah, which, which, which is true, uh, actually, but uh, we have a pretty good uh, school of, of French horn here in, in Riga uh, due to the Arvid Klishans, who is probably the, one of the best French horn players in, in the whole Europe he used to be, actually. But nevertheless, I mean, uh, then I turned to uh, humanities. I studied philosophy in, in Germany, in Iceland for a while. And then I came back, and now I'm in a political science department, but my field is, of course, political theory. And my academic interests are much more kind of uh, historical from the point of view of history of political ideas. I have written a lot about the origins of Latvian nationalism in the 19th century about this Baltic-German-Latvian relations, also about the interwar from the perspective of, should we say, uh, intellectual history and and uh, nationalism studies. So, but as you probably imagine, Mike, here in Latvia, the division of labor is pretty limited in a sense that most people are doing many different things at once. You have to play the French horn, you have to do a bit of philosophy, you have yeah. to do a bit of lecturing. Yeah, 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 because, I mean, this is the only way you can survive here. Uh, and I'm doing also some kind of uh, empirical research in, in terms of, uh, which is uh, probably the most popular subject currently in social sciences here in Latvia. This is all this kind of Latvian-Russian relations, the rule of the Russian media, uh, minorities, policies, and so on and so forth. I mean, this is, I mean, we unfortunately, we have to be, or probably 
Luckily, fortunately, we have to be generalists here very often, uh, not specialists. Although, of course, I have also my, my own academic speciality. Yeah. And you also have a new book out. We'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. Um, but speaking of being sort of a generalist, um, another thing that you do is sort of comment upon political events, political parties, uh, as an analyst in media and so on. So I thought this is actually quite a, a good opportunity for me to ask you to give a brief um, landscape, a brief overview of the Latvian political landscape, because it always strikes me as an outsider as being incredibly difficult, as you know, editors will often call me up and say, something's happened in Latvia, it involves this party, this party, and this party. Uh, can you tell us where they are on the political spectrum? Which is the right-wing one? Which is the uh, populist one? Which is the, the left-wing one? And you say, well... Um, hmm. it's not quite as simple as that here. Um, it seems that a lot of the parties don't really have an ideology as such. So, I mean, how does it how does it work here? There are parties which say they're social democrat, but they don't have many of the characteristics of social democracy. And similarly, you know, there are parties which say they're sort of agrarian, but they don't have much to do with agriculture as much as you know pensions. I mean, it's quite a confusing picture, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this left-right distinction is becoming increasingly blurred everywhere. And I was just listening, I think, uh, two weeks ago or something to, to a lecture of, of Francis Fukuyama, who said that one of the problems is that basically all these traditional institutions are somehow on decrease right now, uh, not just political parties, which is, of course, the case everywhere. And, and if you look at these kind of traditional distinctions about uh, social Democrats promoting the interests of of, uh, of labor, of uh, workforce, uh, the right part, right right wing parties supporting the kind of capital, and 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 from this perspective, I would say that this distinction is becoming increasingly blurred everywhere, especially in Eastern Europe, where. Uh, I mean, it depends on the country, I would say, also on the political system and also on the past, because if you look at Lithuania, the Lithuanians tend to have something like um, left-right distinction, which is pretty clear, mm. but at the same time you see all these populist groups coming in mm. and taking quite a, quite a substantial share of votes. Now, here in Latvia, of course, what, what, what should be known about the Latvian political system is, first of all, that we have that interwar uh, constitution, which is extremely democratic uh, in a way. Uh, we have also all these uh, popular initiatives and so on and so forth. But at the same time, time it's also extremely fragmented in a sense that we tend to have uh, many parties, only coalitions. And the second uh, trait probably of, of the Latvian political system is the persistence of the ethnic cleavage. You might call it ethnic some people would, wouldn't agree with that term, but it's uh, the relations with the uh, Soviet-era uh, immigrant community, which are usually called Russian speakers or Russophones. And uh, from that perspective, uh, 
Latvia, we have this this group is biggest, and the same, at the same time, of course, what we see in politics is that uh, this cleavage is the most persistent, and that's why left parties by here in Latvia usually means just uh, Russian-speaking parties and right-wing parties means so-called Latvian uh, parties. And uh, but at the same time, of course, there are also some other dimensions, and not just uh, this ethnic one. I mean, to, to, just if I might just interject there. Yeah. It seems to be sometimes that in Latvia, it's sort of history plays the role that maybe ideology might play somewhere else in that everything, you know, everything has some kind of historical background to it. People's beliefs seem to be rooted in historical events. Yes, but again, I wouldn't say this is something very peculiar for Latvia because look at Poland, for example, where, where history <laughs> yeah. plays as huge role as, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this is what we call sometimes legitimation from the past. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the, in, in Latvia, th- this is a problem in the on the national level. Although there exists some kind of uh, informal division of powers that on the national level, the state itself is ruled by so-called right-wing Latvians. Uh, at the same time, Riga, which is more than the half of the country, uh, which is also a quite unique situation because Riga and the suburbs are more and more than the half of the of the country's whole. Population, uh, uh, this Riga is ruled by Russophones, by 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 the uh, Harmony, which is a kind of very kind of curious name for the Russophone party here. But you could maybe you know it just strikes me now that maybe in a way that sets up a sort of. Uh almost a, a bicameral system in that you have these sort of extra <laughs> checks and balances. I mean, it, the fragmentation can be quite good in the, if it stops, you know, someone seizing too much power, can't it? I mean, you mean, you mean in the parliament? Or? Well, I mean, in the parliament, but if you also have this kind of almost alternative government in Riga, which is a, has a reasonable yeah, amount of influence yeah, on yeah, people. Yeah, but let's see what happens. We are approaching uh, municipal elections in early June this year, which means that something might change which is, I would say, probably not. But nevertheless, there is a slight possibility of, of, of Riga coming back to right-wing Latvians. I would wanted to get back to something you, you mentioned um, briefly in passing, this idea that uh, traditional sort of left-right divisions and so on are kind of becoming obsolete and that we have other models emerging. Um, is this why you've written a book? Is it in, in order to sort of try and express, get back to, 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 to what we might call, I don't know, a modus operandi of political thought where you take a system, you look at its pros and cons, see what maybe the outcomes are of implementing it? Um, because it seems that we're now living in a, a world in which... I mean, we obviously have a very good example of this at the moment on the other other side of the Atlantic, in which uh, people are reacting to events, but they say they represent a certain mindset, but there's not really um, what we might call a systematic approach to political belief. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me start with uh, left-right, and then I'll tell mm. a couple of words about the book, but... Uh, um, left-right, I would say that, uh, I think, not sure who was that, but quite a uh, interesting opinion was expressed somewhere in the public sphere that this left-right distinction is uh, actually becoming obsolete and what we are going to have in the future, at least for the foreseeable future, 
as a distinction between those who are for openness and those who are against it. And what we see probably, uh, and openness in a very, very, very real sense, meaning the being not just open in terms of, of borders and, and, and economic globalization, but also in terms of being open to new ideas, to other cultures, and not having this kind of vertical of power and so-called traditional values and so on and so forth. So this distinction is, to my view, even more instrumental when dealing with the current uh, situation mm. in politics. But as for the uh, as for my book, uh, yeah, you're right, partly uh, because uh, first of all, we should take into account that, of course, Latvia is a functioning democracy without any doubt. Uh, but uh, we have had tremendous changes during this last 25 years also on the political level. And uh, we have approached and taken over uh, this Western style of democratic politics uh, as a kind of a cargo cult sometimes, that we have just this ritual and in order to get into the EU, to get into the OECD and so on and so forth, we have to to fulfill these rituals just to have them and so on and so forth. And there has been very little reflection about that. And that's why uh, I just uh, wrote a book on the very basic issues of uh, contemporary Western political theory about very basic issues like power, like legitimacy, like uh, political equality, like uh, democracy, just explaining in a narrative way uh, what these terms actually mean, because people are using very often them without actually knowing what's the content. And do you think that maybe there would be a case for politicians having some sort of, you know, political theory 101? I mean, your book is actually called Political Theory First Steps. Yes. Uh, And do you think this would be a good idea to maybe have some sort of political education for persons who are either involved in politics or are considering uh, entering politics? Um, That was, I think, Karl Deutsch who said that his definition of power is the uh, possibility not to learn anything, (laughs) (laughs) which means that if you are in power, you, you, you are you are just listened to. You are obeyed without having to learn something. Yeah. You have to learn I mean, something. I realize As a journalist, I have to... Even saying the word political education uh, yeah. is a little bit suspect. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But at the same time, of course, there is very little po- political education. And we have had some discussions with our German friends who are very much in this um, politische Bildung mm. uh, direction that the society should have some institution which might be involved in these uh, issues and trying to talk to people. But, uh, I mean, uh, look at the general education system uh, in Latvia and you'll see probably that there are much more basic things that should have been mended and done right now uh, apart from the political education. So, yeah, we are working in that direction, but nevertheless, I I wouldn't say that any any big steps are possible. But nevertheless, uh, it's uh, very important to have a book where you can just show a chapter or whatever and and look at this and just read it and you will probably start to understand how people in the West think about sovereignty, let's say, or something like that. 
All right. Well, on that note, we'll just take a brief break with a message, not from our sponsor, but from someone who's <laughs> going to say something very pleasant. And we'll be back in a moment with the second half of the podcast. Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Well, welcome back to the Minutes from Latvia podcast. My name is Mike Collier. This is brought to you by Latvian Public Media and my special guest for actually the 10th of these podcasts. So we're hitting double figures. We, we're able to be archived now and we have to worry about whether we've put the right numbers on everything is uh, Ivar Yubs. Uh, we were talking just before that brief break about... Um, attempts to kind of improve the level of political debate, not just in Latvia, but elsewhere as well. And I, I have a slight complaint to make to you, Ivars, in that I sometimes go to the Quartu um, Dorma, like what do you think uh, yep. debates which have been set up, which I think are a very good initiative, mainly young people uh, who debating a certain topic. Um, this is an attempt because there hasn't really been much of a sort of debate culture, I think, particularly amongst uh, younger people. And I went to one last year, which I think was on the subject of Latvia and whether it should uh, play a role as a, a tax haven or as a, as a, as a banking uh, sort of offshoring centre. And I was very, very excited because I saw you were going to be speaking there and also Andis Kudors, who's been a previous guest here as well. And I thought, wow, this is going to be great. Eabs versus Kudors. This is going to be a real, you know, cataclysmic collision. And then I showed up and you were both on the same side. And I felt so sorry for oh, the okay. people you okay. were debating okay. against. Okay. These two such formidable people. But um, I find it quite um, sort of uplifting in a way that uh, a group of, I mean, I guess that there were about 50 people there that, that evening uh, prepared to engage in a theoretical debate, a kind of Oxford Union-style debate, uh, which there hasn't been much of a culture of, and improve week by week. Some of them are a little bit, uh, you know, need a little bit of oil maybe in the wheels, but <laughs> the only way that you improve this is by is by doing it. And uh, because we had the foreign policy debate in the uh, Latvian parliament, the Saima, last week, and I thought the standard of debate there was pretty low. And actually, some of the uh, ones that from the Quartu Dorma people, I think, would have done a better job. Is that a fair assessment, do you think? Yes, it is. Uh, but, I mean, as for parliamentary debates, uh, of course, the British have, of course, a long tradition of them and uh, let's say a certain standard how people should behave in the parliament. Um, and uh, at the same time, uh, if you look at other parliaments, uh, the quality of debate, if you might call that deb even a debate, what's mm. because it is a kind of a self-present, ideological self-presentation <laughs> and and without any decision taking <laughs> taken at the end of that. But as for Quote to Do, my initiative, it's it's great, uh, it's good, and uh, whether that might somehow spill over to the official politics, I mean, yes, but with the time passing, because um, I would say that um, there is a quite uh, quite a problem with uh, intellectual and human capital among the Latvian politicians, and uh, not just because this political sphere is so closed, but also because uh, there are very little motivation and very little uh, attraction for young people to get into politics. And if you look at these uh, MPs, I would say, yes, there are, there, they are 
pretty different, and 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 uh, some of them are really really smart and, and nice. But the average is, uh, I would say, not not uh, thrilling. Very polite. Yeah, yeah. And from that perspective, this is a problem because it's a really the uh, problem of of recruitment of the political elite because these people from Kotu Duma who are also some of them are really alumni of 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 some british universities or american universities or they have some kind of other decent education but they are in that club and they are discussing and promoting the idea but you might ask them a question whether they consider even the possibility mm. to get into some political party and to stand for the parliamentary elections most of them and for sure but just uh, denies this uh, at once. So, uh, from that perspective, this is a broader problem of the recruitment, uh, if you look at the political debate. Um, the same applies also, let's say, which is the sphere, which is probably um, more familiar to you than uh, for me, is um, uh, the question of journalism, which is also, I mean, uh, Latvia has a small media market, which means that there is not a lot of money in, in this, uh, in, in journalism, in, in media, and so on and so forth. So there are many different people in, in that profession, and so on and so forth. And I would say that um, also there, uh, you might, uh, let's say, ask some questions mm-hmm. about the quality of of, of this um, uh, profession here in Latvia. So, but hopefully that will improve. But the problem is, uh, to my view, that many people are just those who want to listen to a good political debate are migrating either to English, which is the most obvious choice, and listening to, let's say, podcasts from, from The Economist or... Or, 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 or even or, this e- one. Or even <laughs> this one, which is also in English, uh, as a matter of fact. And... Um, uh, than to some kind of, of Latvian language media, which is a problem to my view, uh, because on the one hand, we have been protecting that language and that local cultural sphere. And this, on, on the other hand, we see that the quality of the information which is accessible and, or, and the quality of the debate which is accessible in Latvian is pretty poor. Mm. I think that's a very good point you make about journalism, actually. It seems almost that in the media there's a slightly, well, there can be a slightly opposite quest, opposite problem in that it's very, very easy to write sort of tub-thumping opinion pieces and be demonstrative and, uh, you know, throw around vague accusations without really doing any research rather than be uh, restrained, neutral, down the middle. And I guess that also ties in a little bit with media ownership and questions like that. But it's very easy to, you know, produce an opinion piece. It's much more difficult to produce a factual, uh, well-researched piece. But this is also coming back to Fukuyama's thesis. This is also basically one of the uh, symptoms of degradation of the traditional institutions. Mm-hmm. And if you look at journalism as a classical institution of the 19th, early 20th century, it's also losing its its shape, I would say. 
Well, I mean, uh, I've been reading quite a lot of Edmund Burke recently, okay. and this kind of bridges the gap between journalism and you know political debate as well. And I've, sometimes I read read a chapter of that and then turn the TV on, and it makes me want to cry, you know, because it, <laughs> it's a myth of progress as far as uh, political discourse is concerned is, uh, is is thrown into sharp relief. But I did want to ask you as well. I mean. Y- we were talking about younger people, about the need for them to become engaged. I mean, they're the future of the country, goes without saying. Why are they studying with you? I mean, what what are the reasons why they people take your courses and not just take your courses, but actually attend the actually very entertaining lectures that you do uh, extracurricular as well? I mean, is it just with a view to becoming a lawyer, or is it you know something something dif- dif- different because? It's not an immediately applicable uh, skill, really. It depends on 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 uh, which lectures are you talking about. Because if you look at curricula, um, you'll see that this the the share of political theory or these kind of more historical subjects, which are more kind of humanitarian, more giving is kind of a historical background of 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 contemporary politics. They are not uh, very popular. Um, so, which means that I mean, yeah, who is interested in theory? nowadays I mean if, if, if you ha- if, if you have only these three years of a BA uh, then of course you can have a couple of courses in political theory or political ideologies, but most probably you, starting from your second year, you would be uh, thinking much more about kind of practical stuff like like project management, like the EU, uh, some kind of institutional issues, and so on and so forth. Uh, because I mean, it depends on on what 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 where your interests are, and um, uh, as for uh, those. Who are still interested in, in in the issues like political theory and and um, uh, history of political thought? I would say that um, my uh, impression is that there is a certain proportion of people, a certain minority, if you want, who really want to understand things before they start doing something, which is a minority. I mean, and and uh, but nevertheless, this group is extremely motivated and extremely interested in, in, in what they are doing. And I have uh, a bunch of such students, and that this is really the pleasure to work with them. But you'll start to understand that, of course, the, this is not the mainstream. The mainstream is much more pragmatic about their future Career choices and so on and so forth, but nevertheless, I mean, we're still keeping that group, and it's great. Uh, there's just a couple more things I wanted to run by you. I, I attended one of your um, lectures last year; it was very good about, um, I think it was uh, power and totalitarianism, uh, and that put me in mind of there are certain words reappearing now in political discourse internationally that maybe we thought had been consigned to the history books, things like fascism, things like, you know, imperialism, great power politics. These things all, you know, we used to read about them, but now people are talking about them as if they're alive again. Or is this, do you think this is just a symptom of us sort of thrashing around looking for familiar terms to describe something which is actually quite new and shouldn't really be described that way? 
Um, there is a field uh, in history, it's actually, which is called conceptual history, with Reinhard Hoselleck in, in Germany, who um, was also writing about these isms, how do they mm. develop. Actually, this is, I mean, this is the basic vocabulary of modern politics, without any doubt, starting from the early 19th century, where all these isms, like liberalism, socialism, and so on and so forth, appeared. And now we are using them in, in many possible contexts. And if people are talking about totalitarianism, uh, this is ex- extremely loaded uh, term. Uh, but, uh, for example, in Latvia, we are also not aware of the discussion about totalitarianism, which took place after the Second World War uh, with Hannah Arendt and people uh, like her on, on one side. And there was this also this anti-totalitarian thinking with Marcuse, who said that all these liberal democracies <laughs> are totalitarians, are much more totalitarian and let's say Soviet Union because they're manipulating with people's wishes, desires, and so on and so forth. Writing from so, California. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Writing from California. And and also, and, and, and then, of course, nowadays there is Zizek who has written a, a lot about the, the very concept of totalitarianism. But if you uh, ask me whether these terms can be applied, I mean, we have no other terms. There are constantly new terms appearing, but at the same time, the basic vocabulary is the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, of course, uh, political terms are also used as terms of political action, which means the terms of conflict. You are a totalitarian, mm-hmm. you are, which means that you are evil, you are you are anti-humanistic, and so on and so forth. But uh, as for the history, I would say that, of course, we are uh, all, the, let's see, uh, the, the history is developing not in a kind of a, in a circle, but rather in a spiral, uh, where we, of course, we have certain commonalities between what's happening, let's say, in, in the Russian Federation and what happened, let's say, at the end of the Weimar Republic in, in Germany with similar figures appearing and so on and so forth. But I, I would say we shouldn't be too fascinated about these historical analogies because history doesn't repeat itself in the same form. And finally, um, I mentioned that you often appear as a political analyst. You've given us some great insights today. Um, do you... And we've also been talking about the idea of sort of involvement and people taking the plunge into politics. Do you ever feel the pressure to get politically involved yourselves? Because I think you're quite you're quite careful about maintaining that neutrality. And yet I've recently seen something you said taken out of context and used by one of the political parties as a sort of endorsement almost. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, that must be quite annoying when you've made quite an effort to set out a very precise argument and then just one sentence is used as as if it's an endorsement. Yes, but nevertheless, I mean, I'm quite sceptical about the possible neutrality when dealing with politics. Uh, you can be uh, rational, you can explain and argue about your views, but whether you can be really really neutral when dealing with political issues, uh, of course you can, but if you are on the media, you have to be at the same time 
interesting, uh, <laughs> which, which is important when being in media, which means that I understand when, 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 when I'm commenting on some political issue, I'm actually not on my own ground. I'm stepping actually into the other side mm. and my, and that's what it takes. I mean, to if, if, if you say something about the national alliance, which can be interpreted as something extremely positive or extremely negative, you have to be aware of the fact that it, it, it can be used this way. Well, I don't know how you knew that that's what I was referring to. But um, anyway, thank you ever so much for enjo- uh, joining Thanks me Thanks for today. inviting me, Mike. It was, uh, really nice to talk to you. And um, we'll be back with another Minutes from Latvia podcast in a couple of weeks. I hope you all have a nice intervening period. Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Produced by Renar Steymans for Latvian Public Media. Find out more at www.lsm.lv.